All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to be talking to you from New York City on this, the 11th day of February 2020. I do like to remind you each and every week that I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can sign up for that letter by going to miningstocks.com. MiningStocks.com, it focuses on the exploration companies primarily, very exciting stories that are evolving uh, in this bull market for gold. Uh, and uh, so I, I think it might do you well to uh, consider subscribing to my letter uh, and others out there too. Uh, a couple of my colleagues that are going to be on the show in the next couple of weeks um, that you'll be uh, hearing from on this show as well. Uh, also, like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? ChenPicks.com is the place to go for that. And uh, we also like to uh, tout Michael Oliver at OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com. And uh, we like to thank you for listening, making this show one of the more pro- one of the more uh, followed shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And uh, also like to encourage you to keep your questions, comments, whatever you have to say about our show, keep them coming to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors, and this week we have a new sponsor, Eli Royalties. It's a company that I've had in my newsletter for some time. They are joining us as a sponsor, a company that's done very well so far, building its uh, royalty portfolio, and I think one that uh, you might want to pay a lot of attention to. We'll be talking to Eli Royalties uh, in the near future on this show. Uh, besides Eli Royalties, our sponsors for this week's show, Irving Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Hannon Metals, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, TriStar Gold Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Where Can We Go with the West in Decline? Jim Rogers, John Rubino, and Nav Dhaliwal, our return guests for this week. The Western world bought into the Keynesian lie that deficit spending financed by money created out of thin air is the way to eternal prosperity. But money isn't actually created out of thin air. It's manufactured with debt. And what we've learned since the 1930s, and especially more recently, that under the spell of Keynesian economics, debt is growing much more rapidly than income, leaving the world ever closer to a global insolvency and depression. The gods of money at Western central banks dodged a bullet in 2008, but only by leveraging the system even further, leaving the global economy even closer to global market chaos, poverty, and potentially, God forbid, world war. 
I will ask world traveler Jim Rogers in the second half of today's show for some ideas about how he thinks we might best prepare for a systemic reset if and when that occurs. Uh, but right now, I'm really happy to tell you that John Rubino is with me. He's the uh, co-author of The Money Bubble with James Turk, and he's uh, written some other books as well. He is a proprietor of the uh, very well, much followed Dollar Collapse website. Thanks for joining me, John. Hey, Jay. Good to talk to you. Always good to talk to you. Um, let me ask you, do you accept the premise that the Western world uh, is in decline? If so, what shape do you think it might take? Mm-hmm. And if you have an opinion on that, what do you think people might start to plan for or think about just in case uh, that um, unwelcome scenario unfolds? Well, yeah, I mean, you can trace this back to 1971, obviously, when uh, when the U.S. took the rest of the world off the remnants of the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And ever since, we've been borrowing ever greater amounts of money and, uh, you know, generally leveraging ourselves to the hilt. And that's the kind of thing that leads to decline. You know, whether you're a family or a country, if you borrow too much money, um, your ability to do the things you used to do is impaired. And and we're continuing that process. Therefore, we're continuing the uh, the process of declining. And, and you know, this isn't a, um, a relative thing. This is an absolute decline for uh, for most of the developed world because most of the developed world is borrowing more and more money and, and being more and more impaired by that. Um, the question, where do you go? <laughs> Is the problematic one because, um, you know, there there isn't um, some other well-run system that's rising Mm -hmm. as the U.S., Europe, Japan, and a few other developed countries decline. Uh, It's not like China is going to take over the world because you know they they um, if anything are further down the road towards um, debt-driven crisis Mm -hmm. than the U.S. is Mm because after. the 2008-2009 stock market crisis, the beginning of the Great Recession, uh, China basically quintupled its debt. And that pulled the rest of the world out of the Great Recession, but at a cost of China being wildly over leveraged. So, you know what, there, there's really nowhere to hide now, unless you consider Russia a candidate, you know, because they're, they're relatively... Um, well-structured financially. Mm-hmm. You know, the government is uh, is debt-free, I guess, mm-hmm. at least in terms of external debt. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, it's hard to consider Russia the, um, the shape of the future for a lot of reasons. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough to think about where you would go. The, mm-hmm. the 1%, um, at least a lot of them, have decided that they're going to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Where they're they're building their own compounds with private airstrips, and they're going to um, hunker down and ride out the end of the financial world. Uh, but for most of the rest of us, that's not an option. Uh, so all you can really do, as you know, as we head towards that financial cliff that uh, that's looming out there, um, is basically take care of your own finances and those of your family. And you, you mostly do that by getting out of the fiat currencies that governments have no choice but to devalue as their debts become unmanageable. And yeah. into stuff like gold and silver and farmland and maybe energy assets, maybe well-chosen rental properties, things like that, that governments can't make more of. On the assumption that those things will hold up 
while the things that are being created in infinite quantities, like um, fiat currencies and the bonds that are derivatives of currencies, um, are, are inflated away. And that's, you know, it's a scary prospect to think mm-hmm. that you can't count on the governments of the world to save you because it's the governments that are causing the problems. Mm-hmm. So you have to focus on your own situation. And that is, you know, stack, <laughs> prep, do the things that uh, that you would you probably should be doing in any event. You know, even in good times, mm-hmm. you should have some gold and silver coins. You should have some real assets. Mm-hmm. And you should, uh, you know, generally be prepared for some kind of a discontinuity. And that, that means, you know, a little extra food in the garage, uh, maybe a generator in case the power system goes down, all of that stuff. That, those are things we should normally do in any event. And if we, if we have a little extra capital, definitely ought to do it. But now more than ever, things like that are, are necessary. Yeah. And with what's left over of your capital, um, it makes sense to, uh, to think about trying to build capital by buying things that can go up, not just hold their value. You know, gold and silver tend to preserve purchasing power power Mm -hmm. over time. But the mining stocks, you know, the gold and silver miners, if you choose correctly, can give you multiples of your original investment. Uh, And so with the money that you have left after you've prepped, you know, after you've made yourself financially bulletproof, uh, you can toss some of that money at some junior mining stocks, for instance, mm-hmm. or, or some you know, high-quality miners who will also do very well in the environment that makes gold and silver go up in dollar terms. Yeah. Um, and in that way, actually make money rather mm-hmm. than just preserve wealth in this process. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jay, your newsletter is my, my main source for junior mining stock ideas, and, and you've made me some some serious money lately. Some of your yeah. stocks have been huge winners. Yeah, we've and, uh, we've enjoyed some success. That's that's for sure. And yeah. it's uh, it, with the wind at our backs, it's very possible. And I, I do believe that we're in a bull market, a prolonged bull market for gold. It's not, you know, it's it's the interesting thing, John, is that as you say, gold holds its value over time. So you should be putting your savings into gold long term. I think. But it's interesting to note that actually gold bullion outperformed Warren Buffett during the first 20 years of this century. I'm not sure if you were aware of that, but it's something like 20 or 25% better performance uh, than Warren Buffett, just if you bought gold at the start of this century. Of course, gold was down in the low 200s or you know, in the, in the 200s, I guess, uh, somewhere very low anyway to start the century. So, uh, But nonetheless, um, you make a good point, and of course – if you can latch onto some new technologies that are evolving that allow uh, people to produce things less expensively, I suppose that's another idea. But you did mention farmland, and uh, in a pre-recording that I did with Jim uh, Rogers, which we'll play in the second half of today, that's exactly what he mentioned. He suggested, he said, Jay, you're not too old, to, you're not too old yet to be a farmer. And I said, oh, I think I am, Jim, but uh, nonetheless, your, uh, your point is well taken. I own some farmland and uh, raise some vegetables and some life-sustaining goods, I suppose, uh, is what we should be looking forward to. We don't mean to be gloom and doomers, but we do need to look at the reality of things, right, John? I mean, it's not that we want to sit around, wring our hands, and get some sort of uh, perverse pleasure out of, uh, out of um, suffering. But we do need to be realistic about what's going on in the world. I mean, negative interest rates, for goodness sakes, never before in the history of man. Something is going on here that's not normal. 
Yeah, we're making tremendous financial mistakes. And they're really moral mistakes at, at mm-hmm. their base because uh, they involve us trying to live beyond our means. Yes. And pretty much doing anything we have to do to continue to live beyond our means. And that's a fundamentally immoral um, way of living. It is. Um, because but, it pushes it pushes it pushes hardships onto the future generations is what it's doing. Oh yeah, we're borrowing money from our grandkids. And anybody who says we're not really doesn't understand how um, a financial system works because they're the ones who have to pay this debt off someday, you know, when, when they're working. And hopefully they'll be, um, uh, they'll, they'll be wise enough and strong enough to just say no, <laughs> you know, and tell the baby boomers we have to fend for ourselves. Yeah. But um, it, as you mentioned, you know, this, this gloom and doomy stuff can really depress you unless you see it as the investment thesis that it is. In other words, it's a set of circumstances that lead to a set of investments which can actually make you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on that part of the story, then it's actually an optimistic scenario, you know, in which you at least make a lot of money and you protect your families. All right. John, we're going to have to leave it go at that because we're out of time, but it's a good place to segue into our next sec- our next segment because we are going to talk to Nav Dalywal. He's the president and CEO of Gadling Resources. That's a company that I think uh, will allow people to make a lot of money, a good chance of it anyway, and I think it's one that you know something about as well. Um, well, uh, I know a little bit about them in the sense that uh, I got their stock via the spinoff mm-hmm. uh, from another company. Right. So I've been watching it go up without really knowing a whole lot about it because I didn't mm-hmm. choose it or anything. It was just given to me and it's doing really well. So I'm, I'm right. list- going to listen to your interview with interest. Excellent. Very good. All right. Well, that, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Nav Dalywal, the president and CEO of Godling Resources, will be with us to explain to John and to others Uh, what the company is doing to build shareholder wealth. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Nav Dalywal. He's been with me on a, a few occasions in the past, uh, so we don't have to uh, perhaps read his whole bio, but uh, Nav has certainly been successful uh, in the junior mining space, uh, previously with a company 
uh, called Bonterra Resources, which he and his uh, geologist Dale Ginn were doing a masterful job of building a very substantial uh, gold resource that had got taken over by another uh, firm, and uh, its uh, its fortunes have not done nearly as well as in the days when Nav and Dale had it. But they uh, both of them are back now to build wealth uh, with Gatling Resources. So I'm really pleased to have Nav with me again. Thanks for joining me, Nav. Absolutely, Jay, and thank you for having us. It's really good to have you with us uh, because of the success I know I enjoyed with you and, and Dale in the past. <clears throat> we should tell our listeners that uh, your stock trades in, in Toronto under the symbol GTR. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under the symbol GATGF. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong now, but I think 45.7 million shares, approximately around U.S. 35 cents in U.S. money earlier today, giving it a market cap, very, very modest market cap compared to where I think it's likely headed of $16 million in U.S. money. Well, Nav, uh, what really attracted me to this story is it's, uh, yes, you, you have done very well with early stage companies. But this isn't like a grassroots story. This is a story in which you already have three deposits. There's a, three known deposits next to each other uh, at uh, over about a four and a half kilometer strike length, I believe. Uh, and that same that same structure is known to have hosted, well, the Kerr-Addison mine, which had over 10 million ounces at, uh, I think, 10, maybe 10 and a half million ounces or 10.5 grams per ton, 10 million ounces of gold production down to quite some depth, but you're looking at a fairly shallow um, a fairly shallow resource now, and you're connecting those three deposits together. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're along the lines. And, and you know, that was a great segue into this. And on early stage, this is kind of a, a, a leg up or a level up from early stage um, mm-hmm. exploration as, as I'm used to. But that being said, with the amount of data that we've inherited, and I'm just going to give, you know, the listeners kind of a recap of what we're doing and take sure. their points away on why this company should be looked upon, if not added to the portfolio here in short order. You kind of went through the market cap. Um, you know, we're just kind of getting going again. And these are the early days for us. If people can't recognize that we really, you know, even haven't turned on the liquidity uh, within the stock. We're just kind of getting moving. Uh, we started off, this was conceived as a spin out back in uh, late 2018. We've only really been going at this for a year and aggressively going at this. So, um, you know, we are on a historical, uh, you know, well-known and, and developed uh, Gold Bill, which is Cadillac Larder Fault there, and we've consolidated the eastern part of this belt. And when I say consolidated the eastern part, we're contiguous with uh, an Eagle Eagle's big project, which is called the Queenston Project, which has the Upper Beaver and Upper Canada deposit. And uh, we're the only juniors uh, in this area that are aggressively working out there. So we're not sitting here, um, you know, arm-waving that we're next door to here. At the end of the day, what I've, you know, shown to the marketplace and what's tried, crude, and tested is you got to put the drills to work. Show us what and, and how, where's a blue sky and how big can this get? You know, as, as uh, I was just listening in on, on your uh, previous interview there, you know, yeah, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but there is that silver lining that's coming through. And companies that are built and structured uh, the way we've done Gatling is that silver lining, that rainbow that's coming through after the storm. 
where people need to focus on, uh, and I'm a big proponent on the gold. You're right. You know, um, I see uh, a big moves happening here by, you know, towards the end of this year on gold. And, and again, that's kind of the macro look at it, but kind of more focusing on what we've assembled here. So when we we acquired this. We were looking as, you know, a secondary project when we had the other company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were mm-hmm. very successful putting in all the top shareholders in the gold space and the exploration play- space into that company. And now with, you know, um, having them, um, you know, as, as the previous um, interview that you're having with the gentleman, you know, he's all like, well, I inherited stock through this transaction. So it was for every seven shares that you had of the Bonterra, you got one of the new co. Mm-hmm, but here's mm-hmm. the beautiful part about it is, you know, we were well financed, like I did an amazing job of raising capital over north of $120 million in, in expanding that resource. Now, here we go again. That's what I've got to reinstate in people. We're doing it again, but we're, again, a leg up on this thing. So we also, um, you know, when we spun this out, we put in $7 million hard cash. For the fact is, it didn't want to get off and running into a fantastic jurisdiction, uh, knowing what we know we have as a deposit. And with the team that I've assembled when I was over there in the other company, we've got the, you know, the knowledge base on when we look at and interpret data from a deposit, does it have the size? Does it have what it takes to put the millions of dollars in here to aspire to get it to the next level? And it checked all the boxes for us. Mm-hmm. So again, we've been sitting on this project uh, since 2015. So it's not like we just inherited this. We've been looking at it, and I've just been, you know, the gates are about to open up on this to allow us. And if if listeners are um, looking at it, look at our past news releases. We started off, and this started off with three deposits, one being the Bear deposit, where Goldfields did a $40 million option on this back in 2010. 2012, they've had a, a company mandate to focus on production, leaving all their exploration worldwide. That was it. They were just concentrating on production. That gave us a gift here, Jay. Yeah. They not only did a 43101 on just a Bear project, which has 900 in 17,000 ounces at five and a half grams per ton, but they also left us with just under $6 million worth of work. Now, that's a significant wow. amount of money that was not put in that 43101. So you were mentioning before, and, and again, what we've done here is taken three deposits, which were independently worked historically, and looked at them and looked at all the data that we've had and the abundance of data that Goldfields left us here with. Uh, you know, the Sheminist deposit that's just west of that, kind of the middle deposit, has a head frame, had workings down to 1,000 feet, uh, more of a bulk sample type exercise, not really mining. It's got 42 thousand indicated ounces up top. Okay, so mm-hmm. again, where I'm stating to and um, saying to the public is we are not starting off on scratching the surface trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's there. We've got a very solid blueprint and just with the past news releases and the work that we've done in 2019, starting off in 2019, Jay, we started off yep. with 10,000 meters. We had to, you know, put a number out there. To us as a team, it's a very small amount, knowing what we have as a deposit and how we could grow this. So quickly within, call it less than 60 days, we saw it with the results that were coming out. Uh, we continue to expand this deposit. We jumped the, the, the meterages from 10,000 to 30,000. 
that spring, we later further consolidated the North package of this uh, land package by acquiring uh, the upper part of this, which is contiguous with the upper beaver trend of the unique legal Queensland project from Tech. Tech mm-hmm. got this drill ready for us. They spent over $2 million, to, again, doing all the soil sampling, everything that needs to be layered up, all the geochem, all of the airborne and everything to get it drill ready for us. Again, what gold fields in tech and what we've assembled as a land package here, Jay, mm-hmm. it's not only the cost savings, but it's the time that they're saving us here. The clean database that we're going through to model everything. Um, So in short order here, we we theorize, look, guys, we got three deposits here. Um, Does it all connect? That's four and a half kilometer strike, kind of almost similar to the old Bonterra story. I started off with 200 meter strike and we stretched it out to over a kilometer. Now, we're mm-hmm. looking at four and a half kilometers, and sure enough, by the end of the drill bit, if you look at the news releases, we've shown mm-hmm. big, broad mineralizations of, you know, 30-plus meters of two-gram material, and then you're looking at multiple hits at, you know, depth to now, which is very important for people to start looking at this. We have started showing what people didn't believe was there, the top portion of this, from surface mm-hmm. down to 500 meters, and now we're showing that through the Bear to the Sheminis to the Fernland, all three of these deposits, there's continuity there. Now, that mm-hmm. being said, there's a lot more work for us to do. We need to continue on the path of what we've seen here, and that's not including the upper trend of what we acquired from tech. Now, right. we intend on getting onto that trend here come after into the spring, the summer. Uh, we just want to do some more follow-up on what tech left us before we put the drills down. Now, if mm-hmm. we go ahead and start drilling that upper portion that we acquired from tech, that is a brand new discovery. All right. All right. We hit something like that, that's going to be explosive for us. Not only is it just explosive on what we're seeing already of four and a half kilometers joining three deposits together, and, and not only that, there are baseline here, Jay. Our baseline mm-hmm. is a 43101 with 917,000 ounces. And going back to the intro that you gave, you know, and yes, thank you for giving it in U.S. dollars, but as Canadian dollars here, you know, we've got a market cap of about 23 to $25 million. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. what we've already established, I am trying to give investors a platform. We are about, you know, we're coming up to the big show that we have in Toronto, the PDAC, mm-hmm. the Prospectors and Developers Association's uh, show, that, you know, we're going to be loud and proud out there. We're moving the needle. There's an abundance. We have not stopped drilling. We're continuing on this as we see success, and that's what's driven us to be a very successful team. From the corporate side to the geological side, we marry them up very well, and we get the messaging out there, and we're going to continue to beat that drum here and expose this to what we know it is because we've been uh, very fortunate to be seeing what we're seeing at the end of the drill bit. But again, when I say that, my hat's off to my team. Um, For the geological team, they see it with the experience that they have. They understand it. And again, as the drills come out, they get a better understanding. So again, every step, we're understanding more and more of this deposit. And, uh, you know, we couldn't be situated in a better place. The jurisdiction that we're in, Canada, 
Ontario being Ontario. one of the most mining friendly jurisdictions in the world. Um, you know, if you if you go back from this, where's the gold market now? We still see it hovering into the majors now, kind of, you know pouring down into the mid-tiers, it eventually will now start trickling into the junior space. But mm-hmm. again, we see that. Is that like, do we just hold on and wait until the you know the junior space lights up? Absolutely not. That's not our no, mandate. No, mandate no. from my side to my management team is we continue to grow it. The market will do what the market is, but we're going to show value here in short order. All right, we're just about out of time here already, Nav, but I just, uh, what impressed me is a couple of your last news releases in which you are really demonstrating the connectivity or the continuity between uh, the Fernland and the Cheminas, uh, for example. So this is very important, and as you say, at very shallow depths, and we know that these That's systems right. run to great depths. Uh, I think uh, the Kerr-Addison went down, well, how far? A long ways, and you're only drilling down to 500 meters so far, I think. That's right. It went down to 3,000 uh, meters, but wow. that's a good point. We're seeing the same, the same rock style as the Kerr-Addison mine. And you're right. We want to show that, that this is starting from surface. We know that the, the, the deposits there, as the bare deposit is, you know, it is down at depths of 800 meters, but now we're going to graduate it towards the north. All right. Yeah. We'll have to leave it go at that, Nav. Uh, this is a very exciting story, and uh, we'll certainly be talking to our listeners about this some more in the future. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Well, folks, don't go away. Right when we come back from break, Jim Rogers will be with us, and he'll have some interesting things to say about where he thinks you should put your money uh, in the days ahead. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Rogers. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what has been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. TriStar Gold is a gold exploration and development company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TSG and on the OTCQB under the symbol TSGZF. The large and growing gold resource at Castelo de Sanos Project is located in mining-friendly Pata State, Brazil. A recent $8 million investment from major mining company Royal Gold will advance the CDS project towards a feasibility study in 2020. TriStar Gold enjoys strong institutional shareholder support from groups like Gold 2000, RBC, Sun Valley, and U.S. Global. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Jim Rogers. It's been quite a while since we've had Jim on the show. Uh, he really doesn't need an introduction. He's world-renowned. Um, you all have seen him on television, have heard him, uh, probably seen him on the Internet, and have read many of his books. He's a world-renowned traveler and uh, uh, provides an education, uh, a streetwise education, um, that's uh, kind of rare for somebody with his uh, his background, having gone to prestigious, prestigious universities like Yale and Oxford and uh, places like that, also uh, taught at Columbia. Uh, so uh, it's really great to have Jim on with us. I want to get what his latest thoughts are about the world and, and what's taking place these days, because it has been quite a while since we last spoke to him. Thanks for joining me today, Jim. I am delighted to be here, Jay. It's been a while. You're right. Yeah, it's been a while. And uh, so I'm sure there's some catching up to do with to do with you. Um, I um, um, We don't see you on television over here in America very often anymore. Uh, so that was one way that I always kept up with you in the past. But in any event, Jim, what I'd like to talk about today, uh, the title of today's show is, With the West in Decline, Where Can We Run To? Uh, or something along those lines is what we want to ask you. Um, I believe, first of all, I want to ask you if you accept my premise that the West is in decline. Uh, and if so, maybe you have some ideas why that's true and and. Can there be a change? Can we can we uh, move back in a in a positive direction again? Well, Jay, throughout history, uh, nobody has been on top forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people make it to the top and then they they go into decline for whatever reason, and it's always happened that way, whether we like it or not. Uh, if you look at most of the Western nations now, they all have gigantic debts. The United States is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. In the history of the world, where the, you know nobody's ever been this deeply in debt, and you look at some of the European countries. I mean, even even German cities now have huge debts and have problems. And when I was a kid, Germany was a paragon of of you know virtue and the mm-hmm. way things were supposed to be done. So it's always happened. It's happening again, whether we like it or not. And then. It's always ended badly for the people who get deep in debt and go into a decline. So, so you, your, prem, your premise is, is right, at least if history is any guide. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, how did we get off on this debt? Uh, Jim, I grew up, I mean, I'm 72 years old. I, uh, I grew up in a middle-class family in Ohio. The debt was something you weren't supposed to do. How did, how did the West take on this culture of debt? Why did we do that? Well, uh, during the, the Second World War, of course, uh, America and others went deeply into debt. But the immediate, immediately after the debt, all nations set out. Most nations set out to repay the debt, and they and they got the debt down. But then, somewhere along the line, people started, people started, people started saying, "Well, you know, this is not fun. You know, we have paying down this debt is not nearly yeah. as much fun as spending money." Uh-huh. And people uh-huh. said, "Let's just spend money." And politicians learned to buy votes all over the world, not just in the U.S., but politicians throughout history have learned how to buy votes. So it's easier to spend money and get votes than it is to have austerity and run your affairs the way you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I don't like saying that the United States is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, but facts are facts. 
Well, facts are facts, and, and so far we've been able to get away with it for a number of reasons. First of all, we have the world's reserve currency. Uh, we, we can print money. It seems as though we can print, run huge trade deficits, and the rest of the world recycles those dollars back into buying U.S. treasuries. Uh, and, we, you know, for the longest time we were told, well, we can get by with it um, thanks to the uh, to the to the friendliness of our strangers of strangers, uh, you live in that part in the in the on the other side of the world over there in Asia. What is the take about American debt? Do you still see an appetite from the countries over in that part of the world, especially China, to keep buying U.S. Treasuries? Well, at the moment, U.S. Treasury yield more than many other countries. Yeah. You know, uh, after 2008, Jay, the American Central Bank said, let's just uh, print a lot of money. And then the other, gov- other central banks around the world said, okay, we'll do it too. And so they're all printing huge amounts of money using the, following the American example. Uh, and since other countries, for the, for, in many cases, have a sounder basis than we do, uh, interest rates went negative. I mean, there are trillions of dollars now of government debt, which has negative interest rates because the other countries are a little sounder than the U.S. So as long as America has higher interest rates than other countries, somebody needs to buy the debt, and they will. Uh, Is it good for them or for us? No, it's not good for anybody. Mm -hmm. But those are the facts, and people who are yield hungry are buying U.S. government debt. Yeah, it seems like... um you know, with all the negative rates, so I, th- I saw a statistic recently that said something like 94% of all investment grade debt in the world was U.S. dollar denominated. Uh, and so it would seem as though pension fund managers or people that have to manage money uh, are going to be, as you say, are going to be, uh, they're going to find treasuries, U.S. treasuries attractive. But that's got to be then constantly pushing interest rates down here. So what it seems so perverse to me, the idea of negative rates. It's just contrary to nature, it seems to me. What do you, how is this going to end? I mean, how, how do you see this playing out if the whole world spirals down into negative rates? Well, Jay, this has never happened in world history. Uh, so when you say it's perverse, it certainly is historically perverse. As I say, it has never, ever happened in the, in the history of the world. And interest rates, even in the U.S., have never been this low. They've never been this low anywhere because all the major central banks have printed staggering amounts of money and keep buying government bonds and driving down interest rates. Every day in the Bank of Japan, the guy comes to work, gets out his printing presses, runs Runs money, prints money, and buys government bonds and stock, or buys ETFs. So, I mean, this is lunacy. Yeah. Absolute lunacy, at least as far as I can tell. Historically, it's lunacy. But they're all doing it, and that's why stock markets are, are strong in many parts of the world. That's why interest rates are so low. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay, if you give me a trillion dollars, I'll show you a very good time. Yeah. <laughs> now it's more than a trillion dollars. I mean, the U.S. alone is having over a trillion dollars a year of deficit. Hmm. Mr. Trump says he's doing wonderful things. Well, mm-hmm. fine, as I say, give me a trillion dollars. I'll show you the best time you've ever had. Yes, but if that trillion dollars continues to buy less, um, you need exponential growth of money. It's it just it's just uh, it doesn't. I have a hard time getting my head around this whole thing. I doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Okay, so I will uh, get paid to borrow money now. I mean, it's just uh, I don't know. I, 
Well, Jay, you, you're exactly right, but that doesn't mean they're not doing it. Yeah. You know, you and I can sit here and say this is bad. You and I can sit here and say this is going to end badly. But at the moment, most people are happy. The right. Japanese are happy. Stock market, American stock market's right. going up, right. et cetera, et cetera. So until right. we have to pay the price and we don't have to pay the price yet, everybody's having a good time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd like to buy. Uh, I'd like to buy that um, multi-million-dollar house that you used to own over in the west side of Manhattan. I don't have the money, <laughs> but hey, maybe they'll pay me to borrow money to buy it. I don't know. But just, okay, if you could, if you could print it, you could buy it. That's your problem. See, you can't print money. <laughs> um, are you Are you working on that on that project? Finding a way, but <laughs> <laughs> want to print money? No, I'm just still trying to pay my bills. I yeah. I live with a mentality that I know I'm supposed to pay my bills and not run up a lot of debt, etc. Well, then maybe. Yeah, I do want well. to alert you. This may get better. It may get worse. I mean, you know, now there's a theory called modern monetary theory, I mm-hmm. think it's called, uh, which is absurd. Uh, at least if history is any guide, it's absurd. But there have been a lot of, a lot of absurd economic theories that have been, become accepted, uh, mm-hmm. at least for a while. Mm-hmm. Mr. Marx had a great theory. Mm-hmm. And for a while, many people thought Karl Marx knew what he was talking about. Well, nobody wants to follow Marx anymore, but now we have a new theory that is so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to pay our debts. We can have anything we want. I mean, it, will, it may well become accepted, and then, you know, someday you and I'll be sitting here saying, oh my God, it's getting worse, but it will. Just as, as you and I would have sat here and said Marxism is a disaster, and it was, it didn't mean it wasn't around for a while. I'm not so sure that we don't have some sort of form of, of Marxism now because certainly the people that are saving their money are getting hurt and the people that are spending their money recklessly seem to be coming out ahead so maybe there is uh, some sort of a redistribution of wealth going on but it seems to me it isn't going to the people that are the neediest it seems to be going to the people that are the wealthiest the people that have money in the stock market the bond market and so forth right so I, well, I it- yeah, it, as, it, as I said, many people are happy about what's happening. Yeah. Japanese stock market is at multi-year highs. Yeah, but many markets are multi-year highs, so somebody's happy. Yeah, it seems hard. Um, you know, it seems I had uh, David Rosenberg on my show the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and uh, you know, he's suggesting uh, treasuries. Just uh, you know, sit with treasuries. He, he's getting out of the equity market to a great extent uh, because it's in nosebleed territory, um, but. What are what are your suggestions at this stage? What about commodities, Jim? You're known for commodities. Uh, the Rogers Raw Materialist Index is still out there. Um, how do you commodities would seem to be a place to go when the equity markets and the bond markets are in such a bubble? What are your thoughts? Well, well, Jay, uh, I, I, I own gold and silver, but I didn't buy gold and silver, I think, say, between 2010, 2019. Mm-hmm. I didn't really add, but now I've started buying, last summer I started buying gold and silver again. I'm still, there may well still be a big spike down, and if so, mm-hmm. I hope I'm smart enough to buy a lot more. 
But throughout history, whether we like it or not, when things get bad and people lose confidence in governments and lose confidence in in currencies, they they buy gold and silver. Well, I'm like a, an old peasant. I'm I'm doing it too because I know it. I know it'll be okay in the end. Uh, that's one area. Agriculture has been a nightmare for decades now. The average age of farmers in America is 58. The average age in Japan is 66. I mean, I can go on and on about how you know more more people in America study public relations than study agriculture. That's incredible. So it's and, and it's actually worse. I'm not going to bother you with more detail, more uh, facts, but you know, agriculture has been a nightmare. And something's going to change. Uh, sh- sugar, sugar, for instance, is down something like 75 or 80 percent from its all-time high. Mm-hmm. Not much in your life or anybody's life that's down 80 percent from its all-time high. So some agricultural product, farming. Yeah. Hey, become a farmer. Right. You know, right. you're not you're not too old to drive a tractor. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> a lot of other stuff that we used to do on farms, I'm a little too old to do these days. I'm afraid. But in any event. Um, Jim, I have to ask you, you know, you left uh, you, you left New York City, I don't remember how long it was, at least 10 years ago, more than that, right? When did you leave New York City? Oh, we left uh, finally in 2007. Uh, mm-hmm. We came to Singapore because I wanted my children to speak uh, Mandarin, mm-hmm. and I wanted them to know Asia. In their lifetime, uh, Asia is going to be the most important part of the world, and Mandarin is going to be an extremely important language. So I came here to prepare them for the 21st century. Yeah. And, um, and, and how old are your daughters now? One is 16 and one is 11. Wow. Uh, Jay, I, I'll quickly brag for a minute. It has worked. It's to my astonishment, uh, the major Chinese network has done four specials about my daughters. Oh. You know, I was I went through Shanghai immigration the other day, and the guy said, "Oh, you're Jim Rogers. Your daughters are great. Huh. You know, my daughter, my daughters are making me famous because their Mandarin is so good." Oh, that's fantastic! So that well, so that really worked out well then. Um, what are so your thoughts? So far, Jay, well, yeah. Jay, so far quickly. Let me just say, a lot of people speak English and speak Mandarin who drive tractors and, and drive the taxis. So let's see. You, we, can ask me in 25 years if this worked. Uh-huh. Well, that's that's very interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that um, your daughters are doing well because of your, yourself and your and your wife. I'm sure uh, we're really very dedicated parents, and, um, and and so I'm sure a lot of the credit has to go to the two of you. Uh, you so you went to Singapore. Um, how, what are your thoughts now about Singapore um, relative to the U.S.? I mean, if 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 I had the wherewithal and I was worried about the direction of things here, would I still be better off going to Singapore if they would let me in? Well, everybody has to make their, you know, moving, Jay, moving from from New Jersey to Connecticut is a major, major decision for yep. most people, yep. much less moving from Nebraska to California. So that's everybody has to decide. We moved to Singapore. Uh, it has been great for us. My children are thriving. The schools, the education system is unbelievably demanding and, and advanced, but my children are coping and doing well. Uh, Health care here is much better than in most parts of the world. Everything works in Singapore. 
Singapore. So for us, it's been great. Uh, will Singapore be great in 20 or 50 years? I have no idea. But at the moment, we're, we're pleased with Singapore. But there are many places you can move. It partly will depend on your own knowledge and desires, mm-hmm. your own la- language ability and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, in Singapore, I guess you can get by pretty well with English. I've been there a few times, and, and most people speak some English. But um, uh, let's uh, ask you, I'd like to ask you about China, of course. You've, you've been bullish on China. Long term, I take it you still are. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, China will have problems. Don't think they won't. They're having problems right now. But, Jay, I remind you, America became the most successful country in the 20th century. Along the way, we had uh, 10 or 15 depressions with a D. We had a horrible civil war. We had very few human rights. We had massacres in the streets. But we had plenty of problems. But we became successful. China's going to have plenty of problems. Don't worry. But I don't see any other country on the horizon that can take over in the 20th century. And 21st century. Right. Uh, they certainly, uh, by being net exporters, all these years have built up their foreign reserves. And they uh, are, from what I understand, I don't know how much you, you can believe, because uh, there's propaganda over here, as you know, everywhere there's propaganda. But to what extent the Chinese are now building up their military and their capability of defending their. Um, you know this, their territory, that that part of the world, and do you see rising issues in the future between the U.S. and China, or do you think the U.S. may find itself uh, in such a bankrupt situation that it's going to have to wind back its military? Is that something that you could see happening? Well, Jay, turn on the television, turn on the Internet, read a newspaper. You see what's happening. The U.S. is getting deeper and deeper into debt. Uh, I don't like saying this. I'm, I'm an American citizen like you. But these are facts, and this has always led to problems. Now, it's also a fact. Often in history, when you have a, a, a major po- power which is stagnant or declining, and a rising power, they often clash. Not always, not always in history, but they often have. So that's just the way human beings are. I hope it doesn't happen that way. China and America could be wildly prosperous and do things together. Uh-huh. The, the mood in Washington right now is the opposite of that, unfortunately, for the world. Uh, and trade wars have never been good for anybody. So will America and China clash someday? History says we probably will. Yeah. Uh, there's no need. We could get rich together. Yeah, that would be better. But there's a lot I'd of people. Much rather, I'd much rather get rich together than fight. Well, there's a lot of people though that are getting rich fighting too. Uh, President Eisenhower warned us about this potential when he was leaving office uh, as as the president of the United States. He warned us about the military-industrial complex, and it certainly seems to me that there is a a huge amount of money being made by some people uh, in that sector, and certainly the government can bid away scarce resources to buy the best uh, technical people that build the greatest new weapons and uh, using uh, using the latest technology and so forth so it's it's I don't know it's I, I wish there was a way I wish there was a way out of this but I don't see it either I'm afraid uh, other than the fact that the US might run itself into uh, into debt you know we a one percent increase when you have 22 trillion dollars of debt it's a lot of interest that you have to pay and it seems to me we saw the uh, the, the Powell pivot at the end of uh, at the beginning of last year, or the end of uh, 2017, the beginning of 2000 or uh, 2018, 2019, the Powell pivot, and you know what what did we get up to? Maybe three and a half, four percent, or something like that on the on the long bond. 
Um, and so the math doesn't work, it seems to me, Jim. After you know, if you grow your debt exponentially and your and your income is growing in a linear fashion, somewhere along the line, it, I don't think you need to be Albert Einstein to realize things aren't going to work. So I, I just wonder if if we're not if if we might not just be emasculating ourselves through through a, this debt process. But uh, in any hey, event, it's not, it, it's not math. It's a simple arithmetic. Yeah, the numbers the numbers don't work. Illinois. Is going to go is bankrupt, you know. Yeah. Connecticut, the many places are deep have deep problems, and when interest rates rise again, it's going to affect a lot of people, including people in Europe, not just America. Many people. I want to. I just learned that you're that you've written another book, and you're telling me as before we went on the air here that you've written uh, several books recently, and and in foreign languages they're being translated at least in foreign languages, and the latest one is uh, the future of Japan. In the world that will be, um, I don't know. Talk is, I forget the exact title. The future of Japan and well, something or other. What can what can uh, you tell us about that book? One of them in English is called "A Warning to Japan," uh-huh. and basically what it talks about, Jay, is that. Japanese population is in, has been declining for 10 years. Uh, they have no, a very, very, very low birth rate. They don't allow immigration. So the debt has been going up, up, up while population is going down. Japan is one of the largest debtor nations in the world right now, at least internally. And the book is just saying, guys, this is not the opinion of a foreigner. This is arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Debt is going. You can add the debt and you can subtract the population. And in 50 years, there won't be any Japanese anymore. Mm-hmm. This is a serious problem. Uh, and for, to my astonishment, I did two that became number one bestsellers last year. I've also written in the books that you know Korea is on the rise. And since the Japanese don't like the Koreans and vice versa, it sells a lot of books. Korea is on the rise. Um, yes. Well, uh, go ahead. Briefly, let me tell you, the 38th parallel is going to open up uh, before too much longer. And when that happens, the, uh, the 80 million people on the Korean peninsula, lots of cheap, disciplined, educated labor in the north with lots of natural resources and in the south – great manufacturing capability and capital raising ability you put those two countries together on the Chinese border and it will be a powerhouse wow at least for for 10 or 20 years when do you think we might start seeing this I mean well it's, it's already starting to happen as you I mean you know you've seen Trump and, and the Koreans have yes. at least conferences so far uh-huh. Korea wants North Korea wants it South Korea wants it Russia wants it China wants it Japan is against it because they cannot compete with an open Korea and they know it uh, America is America may be the some people will tell you America is the problem but it's going to happen one way or the other because there's so many people who want it to happen and it should happen I mean what do we, you know the Koreans spend staggering amounts of money on defense every year both north and south yeah you know, it's a it's a waste of money and time and they could make a lot of money together instead of killing each other well, this is uh, uh, this is a bright spot then, a possibility, I guess. And um, I guess have, have you gone to Korea lately? Is it a country you visited? Because you, I was in Korea yesterday. I'm going again tonight. Huh. I've actually been to North Korea twice when it was legal. It's not legal now for Americans. Uh-huh. No, I've been to Korea a lot, and I'm, as I say, I'm going again tonight. Interesting. Interesting. 
Well, I, um, I, I guess uh, you know we would like to keep track of what what you're thinking along those lines, Jim. And um, I suppose you do some interviews here and there on on the on the internet that we can keep track. You have a website that uh, is that a way that we can keep up with what you're doing? Well, the website really just has my schedule. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not I'm not as uh, energetic or as you, ambitious oh. as you. You you do your broadcasting. <laughs> you know, I'm just a simple person. Oh, I'm too lazy. yes, I know you're such too a lazy. Simple, you're such a simple person. You're you said you're a peasant, right? You're you're, well, you're, I said you're, I have, you're buying I have, gold like a peasant. I have a peasant mentality when it comes to gold oh, and silver. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, that's that's uh, that's very interesting. Well, I I know there's some other people uh, that would claim to be peasants too. That. Um, uh, in your league, I think that are buying gold these days. I think they see some handwriting on the wall. Um, well, do you, do you, I, I don't like it. Go. Uh, let me yes. say again, Jay. I don't like it. I know. But facts are facts. I have to deal with facts. Yeah, I know. I remember years ago you telling me that uh, you would rather own lead than gold. And, well, and that, that was a time. Yes. That was a time, at that at that time. Yes, indeed. And wouldn't we all? I mean, I've always said if I could make money some other way, and I'm sure I could. But I mean, I've gotten into this business uh, as a gold bug, not because I want to see the world go to hell, but because I see what's happening, and I believe there would come a time when it would be wise to own gold. Well, even in days when you were bearish on gold, you believed it made sense to own a little bit of it. So, um, in in a diversified portfolio. Well, Jim, just uh, just sort of rounding out here, um, get your ideas then in terms of where people should be putting their money this year. Uh, you said you're buying some gold. I think you're seeing probably rising uh, problems uh, in the financial markets, so that would be one place. Can we keep buying stocks? I guess you should own some stocks because they just keep going up. Until they don't. Well, there are, I mean, the Japanese market is down 40% from its all-time high. The Chinese market is down 60%. There are places that a Russian market is hated. These are places that I own. I will be buying. Japan, I'm buying. Uh-huh. Uh, but I own China. I'll be buying more because of the, the collapse from the from the flu, uh-huh. uh, the virus. Uh, Russia, uh-huh. I am buying more as we speak. Uh-huh. There are still markets that are depressed where good things are happening. Mm-hmm. I told you about agriculture. Agriculture is very depressed. I know. I know, Jay, that you grew up learning to buy low and sell high. There's still, <laughs> there's still some things that are low. Yes, I, I, in theory, I have learned that. Uh, in practice, not always. But uh, anyway, uh, Jim, it's really so so good to to hear from you, and I would like to keep up with you once in a while and get your thoughts because I think they're very valuable. Um, you're a man of, uh, you know, you've had a lot of experience now. You've traveled around the world. You're a very well-educated person, even though you claim to be a peasant. Uh, but it, it's it's really good to talk with you again. I want to thank you so much and uh, wish you all the best, you and your family. And it's great to hear about your about your daughters. I, I can tell you're a very proud father. So uh, Of course I am. But yeah. Jay, let's do it again sometime. Okay, thank great. You. Thank you very much, Jim. All right, folks, well, that, is, that is all we have time for this week. Next week, uh, John Rubino, Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, uh, and the CEO from Gatling Resources will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Lion One Metals, one of 2019's top performing gold stocks, is geared for aggressive growth in 2020. With drilling underway and its fully permitted high-grade Tuvatu Gold Project in Fiji, one of the last high-grade gold deposits of its kind anywhere in the world not owned by a major gold mining company, Lion One trades in the USA on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF and in Canada, Canada under LIO on the TSXV. To learn more about Lion One's world-class high-grade gold potential in Fiji, go to liononemetals.com.